Shame is a discourager. And um, so I'm not trying to be political or anything, but there is a there is stuff out there trying to shame men. And uh, because they are, the devil doesn't want men taking their place. The devil doesn't want men taking their place. And that means a servant, hearted leader. And Josiah asked me one time, he said, Dad, why are men stronger than women? And I said, so we can serve more. And it's because literally serve more. We, can do, we get to do the heavy lifting, man. And that's our honor. That's how we get to serve. All right? And so, but that shame of who you are and how God made you and all these types of things. And it's just, it's more than, obviously, it attacks women as well. I was using men, that thing as an example, is that you, shame is going to keep you from doing what God has said you can do and who you are and what he wants you to do and getting to co-labor with him. And so that's why Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right. Um, well, I'm going off script this morning. You can take that down because I'm not preaching on it. Uh, so uh, this morning during prayer, you know, I had a, I had a I worked hard last night. I stayed up late on this sermon, you know, but I, we had a really busy week. And a week, I mean, I, I wrote most of this thing last night from 8.30 to 10.30 or 11, really. But uh, it's the Lord's. And so I'm kind of happy. I, I kind of, I'm like, good Lord, it's, it's going, you're going to have to show up. So anyways, um, by the way, this is uh, the nine-year anniversary of the awakening. We started Super Bowl Sunday, 2010, and we were going to have it at 6 p.m. <laughs> and then we realized, we're, I went, wait, wait. It was like three weeks before the first service. I was like, wait, that's Super Bowl Sunday. I was like, listen, I know we can do anything in Christ, but we don't want to take the giant of the nation down, the, the principality of the nation down the first Sunday. All right, so... Let's move it to the morning, and then we, then we move to the evening the, the rest of the time. But we met at the Farmington Community Center. If you haven't been in there, the acoustics are amazing. <laughs> Tile floor, you know, wooden walls. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could hear for miles. And so, but uh, thankful for the Farmington Community Center. We've deemed it the Farmington Country Club because um, you have potlucks and all kinds of stuff there. But uh so we shortly moved into a bar, you know, six months later after that. And uh, we actually listened to that old IHOP song this weekend. It came up on the rotation, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. We had a dance party one time in the bar with that song. And, and we, took, we were taking pictures, and there's orbs all around everybody. It was like 12 of us dancing. <laughs> so, but there's... Orbs, and in case you don't know, sometimes angels in pictures can appear as orbs. It's dark in that bar. Whenever we, I used to preach in that bar, the sun came in the window behind me, so it looked like I was a uh, 60 Minutes interview where there's the guy with a... And 
can't see their face. He's like, you know, he's the hidden witness. I mean, that's kind of how I, I preached. Nobody could see my face. People were wearing sunglasses on the front row. And I'm in doing a 60 Minutes interview. I mean, how did in the world did it? Did, I mean, look what God done did is all I got to say. And so, um, Lord, I, I thank you for nine years of your faithfulness and even before that. Um, so this morning, I want to talk about being foolish for God. And I, I'm going to share a quick testimony. I take, um, Friday, there's this convenience store close to one of the gyms I work at, and they, they carry the protein shake I like. So I, I go in there quite a bit. And there was a guy behind me in line, and I felt like the Lord said, hey, buy his stuff. And he's also going to buy a pack of cigarettes and get that too. And I was like, okay. And so I've been to Burning Man, so that's not like a huge stretch for me. And so and I, uh, so the guy, I go up there. I said, hey, man, he had like two orange drinks and like a couple packs of crackers, you know, like the peanut butter crackers. And I said, hey, man, let me treat you. I want to buy your stuff. He's like, no, man, you ain't got to do that. I said, come on. I said, let me. He said, why do you want to do that? I said, because Jesus loves you and you're God's favorite. Let me treat you. So he put his stuff up there, and I paid for it. And he said, he said, I'm getting a pack of cigarettes. I'm, just gonna, I'm paying for it over here, man. I said, no. I said, what do you want? What kind of smokes do you want? He's like, uh, Newports. And I said, all right. I said, one pack of Newports. So I bought the Newports for him. And he, you know, he was a little puzzled that this guy talking about Jesus bought him a pack of Newports. And so he got his stuff. I'm going to the car. I got his name. I was like, hey, Sam, remember Jesus loves you, man. You have a great day. He said, all right, thank you, man. Thank you. And uh, so I asked the Lord, I was like, why? I said, why do you, why did you want me to buy the Newports? And I just felt like the Lord didn't necessarily speak to me, but I felt like he gave me an understanding is that the Lord wants that guy to know that he doesn't have to get it all together for the Lord to love him. That the Lord can, I mean, how many people has he met in the midst of drugs and all kind, every other mess that we make? But here's this guy because he's, you know, he, he had some recognition of like, I sh maybe I shouldn't smoke cigarettes and maybe I shouldn't let this Jesus money pay for my cigarettes. You know what I'm saying? And so, but what he did is like, what? Jesus loves me even though maybe I shouldn't be doing this? And so those types of things is the kindness of God that brings people to repentance. And I also want to give a, just a quick testimony about um, Jean Rong. Jessica talked about her. She's, we prayed for her the other Sunday. And, um, you know, the awakening, she spent just a little bit of time with the awakening. But in the, during that time, she started... I guess having her eyes open to some of the power of God and, and whatnot. And uh, she was a little nervous about going back to Shanghai. None of her family are believers. And um, she's also been part of Lord of Glory Church, Parker James and his wife, um, great church. And so they, 
I was talking with Parker's wife, and she, she had talked with Zhang Rong after she had gotten back to Shanghai. And Zhang Rong's grandmother had a, a finger that would not extend. It was like curled up like this. And Zhang Rong's parents would mock her grandmother because of the finger, like make fun of her. Zhang Rong said, hey, Grandma, let me pray, pray for your finger. And she you know, prayed, didn't get healed, but she just kept praying kept praying. It sounds like scripture to ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking. And so Zhang Rong just kept praying and her grandmother's finger got healed in the name of Jesus. And so already there's a testimony of Jesus for her family. And she, she asked the Lord for different eyes to see Shanghai. She told Adele, she said, when I arrived back in Shanghai, it felt like a garden to me. She said, it just like, I could see all the beauty in Shanghai. And so um, I just love that kind of stuff. But I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to talk about, like I said, the being foolish for God. And I want to... You know, I, I read this, or I saw this the other day, a guy named Robbie Dawkins, and he posted this on Instagram, and it made me think that what he said was true, and what he said was, there's many of us as Christians who would die for Christ, but not very many of us want to look foolish for Christ. And I've had, over the years, I've had that same thought. I was like, we don't want to seem not cool. It's a temptation. I mean, it's just real a temptation. You don't want to seem like a fool. You don't want to seem cheesy, uh, not cool, however you want to phrase it. We don't want to look foolish is what it boils down to. And, and we may even be, you know, even devoted enough to be like, hey, when it, if it came down to it and somebody's like, uh, you got to choose, you got to renounce Jesus or you're going to die, and then you, but you, you choose Jesus. Because you're faced with life and death. You, it's, but when it comes down to just what man thinks about you, how people perceive you, we don't want to look foolish. And it's, I'm saying that I'm, I'm, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to all of us. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 18, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 18. I heard y'all flipping your pages. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, that's what I try to do is to keep y'all off balance. And, all right, verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross is foolishness. Let me get this. Uh, I'm going to open up the Passion Translation. Hang on a second. Passion Translation of verse 18 says, To preach the message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense to those who are on their way to destruction. But to us who are on our way to salvation, it is the mighty power of God released within us. I've been uh, 
having a conversation with a guy I used to go to high school with, and he had a, and it's, I've been, he's not a Christian, and I've been, it's more, it's been kind of like an apologetics type conversation, which isn't my favorite kind of conversation, but this is just kind of where it's gone. And um, I, I think people that do apologetics are amazing. It's nothing to say. I'm just saying that's just not my wheelhouse. And so, um, but I've been, I've been speaking with him, and he says, you know, like, how do we know that we're not living in some alternate reality created by a kid playing in his yard and, you know, in the ultimate universe? And I'm just like, do you realize how much faith that takes? I'm like, that's crazy. That's foolishness. But what I'm saying to him sounds like that. Because he doesn't know yet. But he's getting prayed for. And so it says that the message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense. Seems like foolishness. Verse 18, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since of the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. The Passion Translations, verse 23 says, we preach the crucified Messiah. The Jews stumble over him and the rest of the world sees him as foolishness. But as for those who have chosen to follow him, both Jews and Greeks, he is God's mighty power, God's true wisdom and our Messiah. For the foolish things of God have proven to be wiser than human wisdom, and the feeble things of God have proven to be far more powerful than any human ability. I'm going to keep reading on verse 26, and I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. Brothers and sisters, consider who you were when God called you to salvation. Not many of you were wise scholars by human standards, not were, nor were many of you in positions of power. Not many of you were considered the elite when you answered God's call. But God chose those whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and powerless to shame the high and mighty. He chose the lowly, the laughable in the world's eyes, nobodies, so that they would shame the somebodies. For he chose what is regarded as insignificant in order to supersede what is regarded as prominent so that there would be no place for prideful boasting in God's presence. For it is not from man that we draw our life, but from God, as we are being joined to Jesus, the anointed one. And now he is our God, he is our God-given wisdom, our virtue, our holiness, our redemption. And this fulfills what is written. If anyone boasts, let him only boast in all that the Lord has done. And so God chooses the foolish things to shame the strong. What, what man seems, hey, you want to be strong, you want to be, um, you know, in order to be in power, then you've got to pull people down. 
it's just I just imagine like you climbing that corporate ladder and there's people in front of you you're just grabbing the back the back of their britches or the back of their shirt and you just pull them down you just yanking people down to exalt yourself that's the way in the world's eyes people get exalted right but in the kingdom you get exalted by pushing people up and you're going down the steps because you realize everything comes from God. This is what this is talking about. Nobody should boast because everything comes from the Lord. And so when you trust the Lord, you know that he's the one that promotes you. He's the one that promotes you. You trust the Lord by you, you do the right thing by what God's asked you to do. Honor, submit, love, serve. You do those things. And God's the one that promotes you. Nobody can stop God from doing what he wants to do. Nobody can stop God. And part of the reason why Christians get put in those low positions is because so the love of God can shine through. It's like, why, you're at the bottom. Why should you be? Why are you joyful? Why are you happy to serve? Why can you take a wrong suffered and still love that person? Because it puts the love of Jesus on display. You've been called, we've been called to do the impossible, which is found in the Sermon on the Mount. That's why during that series, every, everything is at a heart level. Jesus said, you've been told, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I tell you, bless your enemies. Give your enemies something to eat and thereby put heaping coals of fire on their head. And what that picture is, Back in the day, in Jesus' day, there was a man who woke up early in the morning before everybody else, and he made fire. And he would take coals of, of fire, put them in a, some kind of carrying bin, and put it on top of his head, and he'd walk around, and all the women waking up in the morning to start their fires for the day that they would use throughout the day for food and whatnot, that man gave him a coal to start off with. And so this guy that had it, Heaping, uh, had coals of fire on his head was a blessing to the community. So he's saying, bless your enemy until they serve your community. Bless your enemy until the love of God transforms them where they become a blessing. And they're transformed because of your love for them. And so verse 31 says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is the story of King David. Dancing before the ark of the Lord. Now, the first time David tried to bring the ark of the Lord in, he, did it, he tried to do it the way he thought would be a good idea. And so he had guys that weren't supposed to carry the ark, carry the ark. And I'm not going to read this whole story, but the, the oxen stumbled. The ark was going to tip over a guy named Uzzah, touched it, trying to hold the ark up, and he was struck dead. You're like, man, that is harsh. That is harsh. So what's the story What's the moral of the story is 
not doing things the way God asks us to do has harsh consequences. <laughs> There's severe, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you that just to have a little fear of the Lord is that God knows what's best. It's not to punish. He's not like, I want you to understand the heart of God. He's not like this, do it my way. Do it my way. But what he understands is like, if your heart submitted to me, you're going to be blessed. So after that ark stumbled and that, you know, Uzzah died, they, David was distraught. He was like heartbroken. And so they housed the ark of the Lord in the house of a guy named Obed-Edom. And while Obed-Edom housed the ark, he was getting blessed left and right. And David was looking at him. Look at Obed-Edom. I want the ark. And it should be in Jerusalem. It should be like where the king's at, which he had the right to. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12, David's like, all right, we're going to bring in the ark in. We're going to do it God's way. Not my way. We're going to do it God's way. Verse 12, it says, it was told to King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six, six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. Now, I don't know exactly how far Obed-Edom's house was from Jerusalem, but just imagine this. One, two, three, four, five, six. Bring an ox and a fatling. Sacrifice. One, two. That cost David a lot. And the purpose of the sacrifices is simply to communicate that he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. And it says in verse 14, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, some people said that this linen ephod, you could see through it. And that's why it was shameful, because even for a, a Jewish man, to be, to be seen naked was utterly shameful. That's why when uh, Ham, or uh, excuse me, Noah and his two sons, it said Noah got drunk and he was butt naked in his tent. And his Ham went in there, and that's why you say, man, you're really hamming it up. You ever, you know how the Bible influences jargon? It's like, man, you're really hamming it up because Ham went in there. He's like, look, dad, he's naked. He got drunk, he's naked. And then his two other brothers were like, no, no, we can't shame daddy like this. They took a blanket and they walked backwards so they wouldn't even look upon their, their naked daddy, covered him up. Noah found out and he said, Ham, you, you cursed, man. And so back in our grandparents, man, he's really hamming it up because there's somebody just kind of like, hey, look at, you know, they're just doing this kind of thing. But uh, it has different, different connotations nowadays. But that's how it started. He's really hamming it up. And so there was shame in the nakedness. And so David, maybe you could see through this linen ephod. And first of all, it was believed to be what is under the priest's robes. So David was assuming the role of a priest. David, one of the things that he did that offended people back in his day was 
he actually was kind of walking in New Testament realities before Jesus ever came. He would go into the temple and he ate the showbread. And they're like, you can't, you're not a priest. He's like, I worship the Lord. God's, you know, he's like, I'm a son of God. <laughs> David knew who he was. And then he's, he puts on the priest linen ephod. He's like, what are you doing? You're not a priest. He's like, I am before the, before the Lord. Jesus came as king and priest. Guess what we are? Kings and queens and we're priests. We're a royal priesthood is what Peter said. So we operate from a position of authority of what God has given us authority over, and we also operate as ministers of his presence. We give away his presence. We give away his presence. We give away his presence. And so he, he was wearing a linen ephod, and he brought it up with gladness. And David and all the house of Israel, verse 15, bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, that Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When David had finished the offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Further, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitude of Israel, both to men and women, a cake of bread and one of the dates and one of the raisins to each one. Then all the people de departed, each to his house. Now, raisin cakes is interesting because that word for raisin cakes is actually a homonym for fire. And so you could even look at this symbolically as David, when he passed out the raisin cakes, he was passing out the fire of the Lord to serve the Lord with fire and passion and wholeness of heart. Just like what he was carrying, he was giving it away. That foolishness for God. Because when you love somebody, how many crazy things have lovers done in the past? You know, it's, and so that's, and that's, that's down here, that's human love. And you, you've got agape love. You know, you do stuff like you, I'll post every now and then, like some of my favorite funky love songs in, in dedicated to Jessica on Facebook. You know, you do silly stuff. You do, we, we act a fool when we're in love. So how much more so would we, would we not act a fool for Christ who gave his life for us, who loves us much more than we can even understand what Zach was talking about. You get a when you have children, you get a taste, and the taste overwhelms you of the Father's love. And we're just getting a taste. There's still some, it's still not fully revealed yet. The fullness is still not fully revealed, but we're, get, we're growing in the knowledge and the understanding, the experience of the love of God, the height, width, depth, and breadth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You can't even think about it. You can't comprehend it, how great the love of God is. But Zach got a taste when he looked at, at Ruby. I got a taste when I saw Josiah's head poke out for the first time. And I saw his hair. He had a big old muff. 
tuft of hair or whatever you call it. And so he, and I remember I, I saw him. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't. I was just crying. Jessica's giving birth and she's trying to comfort me. And so, <laughs> but I held Josiah in my arms and I know exactly what Zach was talking about. And we tell people that. It's like, there's just, you just don't know until you have a baby. It's just, and so you have those, you have those things that you, you understand the heart of God. You understand why he would ask his son to die for you. Because if, I, if it's between me and my children, who's got to die? Man, this is a no-brainer. Ain't even a question. No hesitation. And so David's bringing it in. Michal, uh, Mike, Michael, I'm going to call him Michael. And so despised him in her heart. And he said, in verse 19, he distributed the raisin cakes, verse 20. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. And, he said, and she said, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants, maids as one of the foolish ones, shamelessly cover, uncovers himself, foolishly uncovers himself. And so David, imagine this linen ephod. Maybe he spun around and maybe everybody saw places where the sun doesn't shine. I don't know. And that was utterly shameful. And going back to that, a Jewish man, if he were naked, but even if, if the ankles were exposed, it was shameful. That's why when in the prodigal son story, the prodigal son's coming home and it says the father girded up his, his tunic, girded up his loins is, is the way some translations say it. And when you do that, guess what? Ankles get exposed. So that, and everybody in the village is looking, it's like, what is he doing? He's exposing his ankles. How shameful. And then the father, and, he, and then the father starts running, which was another shameful act because back in that day, it says if you didn't believe, if you ran for something, you weren't trusting God enough to bring it to you. That's just the way they thought. And so he's running, number one. And number two, his ankles are exposed. Two utterly shameful things for a man to do. And that's the father. So guess what? The father took shame upon himself on the cross in the, in the form of his son so that you don't have to bear the shame anymore. I don't have to bear the shame anymore. But if, we, if we're looking around us, if I'm looking right here to where my identity comes from, where my worth comes from, if I'm looking around me and I'm not looking up, then I'm not, going, I'm not willing to be foolish. I'm not willing to act shamefully. Now, I'm not telling you to be stupid. I'm telling you to obey the Lord. And, he, and it may be, you know... I, Sometimes it's like we don't want to make somebody feel uncomfortable. And somebody said, well, it's going to be real uncomfortable in hell. Make them feel uncomfortable right now. Go after them. It's okay. If they don't, I had that same encounter where I bought the guy packing Newports. There was a woman that was standing on the side. I said, hey, what's your name? And she's like, Joe. I said, Jesus loves you. And she went. But that was before Sam. It's not, if I'm looking for the reaction to, to justify why I'm doing it, it's, you're going to get discouraged. You will get discouraged. 
And so I don't look for what man says at all. I'm just simply look for what the Father says. And I forgot who I was speaking with. Oh, it was um, Clint. I was speaking with Clint Friday night. We went to the Chosen for Life banquet. And we were just talking about how God, when he, when he called Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land, he didn't say, Joshua, you're going to lead these people out just as I was with Moses. I will be with you. Now be perfect or else you will fail. Now he said, Joshua, be strong and courageous. And do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. So what God, he was giving them two things, like Joshua, be willing to take a risk. And Joshua, remember what I say about you. He didn't say, Joshua, do it all right. Joshua, be perfect. Because Joshua didn't do it all right. Because he, they tried to, uh, to, to sack the, the city of Ai. I, I pronounce it. Y'all, y'all got to bear with me when I pronounce things, all right? So the city of Ai, they did it wrong the first time. And then the second time, he said, all right, Lord, how do you want us to do it? And it's, it's become a, a military tactic throughout history where part of Joshua's army drew the men of the fighting men of Ai out of the city. They chased them out of the city, and then the second half came in the city and sacked it, and then they made an Ai sandwich after that. But think about all the things throughout the Bible where the foolishness of God won battles. Jericho. Hey, the most fortified and strongest city in the known world, you're going to march around it for seven days and then yell and, sh- and blow trumpets, and the wall's going to crumble down. Everybody would laugh in your face. Imagine Noah building a boat for like 200 years, and you'd never seen a boat in your life because... At that time, water came up out of the ground. It didn't rain. You have Gideon. He's like, listen, there's like 400,000 guys you got, or 45,000 guys you got to fight. You got 300. Don't even carry a sword. You're going to have a torch and clay pots and trumpets, and you're going to surround them. When, and you're going to break the pots and, the, and blow the trumpets when I tell you to. Jehoshaphat, surrounded, outnumbered. God says, let the worshipers go out first. And so the worshipers go out first ahead of the army, and God sends confusion into that great multitude, 100,000 men or more. And they kill them. The enemy kills himself. And they just collect. It said they collected spoil for three days because they went out worshiping. That's the foolishness of God. That's the foolishness of God. And so, verse 21, so David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. And this NASB says, I will be more lightly esteemed than this. NIV says, I'll be more undignified than this and will be humble in my own eyes. Not your eyes, my eyes. Because 
the opposite, this is how the devil works. Michael was accusing him of actually the opposite of what he was operating in. The devil will do that. He will attack you in your strength. So one of the strengths of David was he was humble before the Lord. He had a humble heart. And Michael's like, you, you acted so pride, full of pride today. You are so proud in your dancing. Look at me. Look at, look at I'm King David. She's accusing him of, of that. And David's like, I, I know I was, I'm humble before the Lord. That it was in genuine worship. And so even, let's put it in modern context, we see somebody dancing. We see somebody rejoicing. God is not necessarily saying you got to do that thing, but just celebrate it. Celebrate it. Don't be upset when you see somebody stretching your faith. Just say, hey, Lord, if there's more, I want some more of it. But don't compare yourself. It's, it's like Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate. This is what we're, you're, that's your destiny, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So we look at Jesus. Every other man falls short. Every other woman falls short. So don't, don't do that. But also don't look in, dis, in despise at somebody who's going after it. Don't look and despise. And don't get into, because the, usually if you're looking if, at somebody with, with despise because they're, they're really stepping out in faith, it's because you're in shame. You're sh- and, and that's not the Lord. When you're out of shame, you can celebrate what's happening in that person's life. And that's, that's where we want to get to and work towards. So he said, David said, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler of the people of the Lord. I'll be more undignified than this and I will, hum- and I will be humble in my own eyes, but with the maids of whom you have spoken with them, I'll be distinguished. And then verse 23, it says, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. So what does that mean? If you're not willing to look foolish, probably not going to bear much fruit. If you're not willing to look foolish, you're probably not going to bear much fruit. And, and the bitterness and the despising in the heart, they're bad roots is what the Bible says. So any fruit that you bear will be, will be bad. So you want to have roots of celebration? Psalm 20 says, we will rejoice with you in God's victory over your life. That's what we want. So when something, Jean Rong, Lord heals her grandmother's finger, woo, yay God. When, when, when somebody gets a promotion at work, woo, let's go. Let's do this. Let's go. We're celebrating other people's victories because it's, no man boasts in and of themselves. You boast in the Lord. That's, we're celebrating God. We're celebrating the work of God because no man can receive unless it comes from the Lord's hand. And, and you're like, well, what about the wicked guy? Well, 
The Bible says that he's kind to ungrateful and wicked men. Aren't you glad he was kind to you and I when we're in that place? But there will be, there there is a, a judgment day. But right now, this is the season of mercy. This is a season of grace. This is the season where he's kind to ungrateful and wicked men, where they can draw to him, they can see him, they could call upon the name of the Lord and be saved just like you and me. Because we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to his own way. Right? There's no one righteous. No, not one. So thank God for the mercy. Thank God he's, he's kind to us in our, in our state, and he makes us new.